You are listening to the Mother Good Podcast, episode number 19. I'm your host, Emily Carney, and I'm so glad that you are here. We at Mother Good believe that there is no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. Well, welcome to another episode of the Mother Good Podcast, and today's guest is Leah Behrens, who has three children, two of whom have autism. Now, we definitely talk about the challenges of autism and how to ensure that if you do have an autistic child that they live to their full potential, but what I was most surprised about in my conversation with Leah and why I titled this episode the way that I did was that Leah also talks about the beauty of autism and how a lot of children who have the condition actually are proud of having autism, and it gives them somewhat of a superhuman power because they have some abilities that the rest of us don't. So I found that so beautiful in some of the other stories that she shared as well. Now, we definitely get into the challenges of having a child who is autistic as well. And one reason why I found my conversation with Leah so beneficial, even though I don't have a child who has autism or I don't personally know anyone who does, I've definitely seen children in public who do, and I've encountered them. And I've never really been able to have a candid conversation and ask, uh, you know, frank and honest questions to a parent who has a child with autism. You know, some questions like, you know, what are things you should say? What what are things you shouldn't say? How can you support a parent who has a child with autism? And just also learning more about the condition itself, what it's like to be a parent um, to a child who has autism, what a day in the typical life looks like, what kinds of therapy are available, what kinds of things you have to do when it comes to sending your child to school and doctor's appointment, getting diagnosis, all that. So even if you personally don't have a child or know someone who do has a child with autism, I think you would find this episode very beneficial and enlightening um, just to open your eyes to the entire world of autism. And also in case you might run into a parent on the street who is struggling and you could just kind of give them some words of encouragement as Leah describes in this episode. Before we get into today's conversation, I'd just like to ask a big and quick favor for everyone listening. If you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you just took two seconds to rate us. Just scroll down in whatever app you're listening to us in and you'll see stars and ratings and all you have to do is just click the five stars and you'll be done in, in just one click. So you can even do it right now as we're talking and then it'll instantly be done. So anyway, we really appreciate it so much. So without further ado, here is my amazing conversation with Leah. Hi, Leah. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, hi, Emily. I'm so thrilled to be here. The honor is all mine, truly. Well, I've been following you for a while on social media, and I really just find your page a joy, and it's so informational as well. Um, But before we get into the topic that you're most passionate about, or one of the topics you're most passionate about, uh, could you give us a little bit of background about yourself and who you are? Sure. So I'm a wife and a mother of three. I stay at home with them. I have a, let's see, I have a seven-month-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old. And I have a blog called The Baron's Den. And um, there I kind of talk about autism parenting, which is really what my niches, I suppose you could say. And then I also share things that are just for me, like hair and makeup and and things like that. And I just love to connect with people. And that's kind of what social media is all about, really, right? (laughs) 
Definitely. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about your life trajectory so far? Like what state do you meet in? How do you meet your spouse, etc.? Sure. So I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. I live here with my husband. We met in college and <laughs> and soon after that we were pregnant with our first kid. I was 19. <laughs> so that changed the trajectory of my life a lot. And then um, we had another unplanned pregnancy when I was 21 because we can't learn our lesson the first time. And that changed the trajectory of my life. And then in 2016, um, when my son was 15 months old, um, well, when he was about a year old, we started noticing that he was regressing in speech and um, just like how do you, he didn't use a, a spoon or a fork anymore, things like that. And when he was 15 months old, he was diagnosed with autism. And then in 2018, when my daughter was just starting kindergarten, she was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder as well. Um, and then, uh, and then we had the third. And so I, I feel like my, my life has just been constant change. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It sounds like there's been a lot of struggles and challenges along the way. So um, I guess you could say that those have those been your biggest struggles in your motherhood journey so far. Yeah, I would say my yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know which was harder, really, of getting pregnant at 19 or the autism diagnosis, but they were they were all pretty rough um, at the beginning. And then, you know, the the struggle comes, you know, with different seasons that you got different struggles. Um, you know, at the beginning, it was accepting the diagnosis, accepting that my life wasn't going to be how I always envisioned it. Um, and now it's more of, you know, outside factors. Um, so, you know, people who, who will judge my kids or be mean to them or, you know, just institutions that don't believe in um, – I don't don't believe in like acceptance, I guess, and and um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Um, they don't, you know, they don't want to involve my kids and with their neurotypical peers, you know, things like that. Those that's what makes autism parenting hard, not my actual kids or not the actual diagnosis itself. If that makes sense. It definitely does. I can't even imagine having to deal with that because I, even though I don't have any personal experience with autism, you know, no one in my family does, the thought has often crossed my mind that whenever I'm struggling just being a parent of a, you know, perfectly healthy toddler and just getting the social acceptance and community support for that, sometimes I wonder, gosh, what happens if, you know, my kid had autism or some yeah. other sort of disability, like it would just be even harder. So I can't even imagine. Uh, do you know a little bit about, well, I'm sure you do, but like, could you explain the different types of autism there are? Because I didn't realize that there's actually different levels and spectrums or forgive me if I'm not using the right <laughs> language, but that's why you're here to correct me. So feel free to jump in and correct me if I'm not using the correct language, but maybe if you could just give a general overview of the definition of autism and the different types that there are. Right. So it's confusing because 
So in 2012, everything changed in how they diagnose autism spectrum disorder. So it used to be there were different levels. You got diagnosed with, you know, Asperger's or or other things like that. And now everybody gets an autism spectrum disorder diagnosis. So it doesn't matter where you at, where you're at on the spectrum. Everyone is just has autism spectrum disorder. Um, and what it is, is it's a developmental disorder. And again, it affects everybody differently. It manifests itself differently in everyone. Um, but it typically affects communication. And um, you also see a lot of repetitive movements or thoughts, things like that. And don't some of the different levels, um, you know, some some kids tend to be nonverbal or some <laughs> others are verbal. Can you explain that differentiation? Yes, and I'm so sorry my dog just barked. But I, <laughs> like of course I knew he was going to do that. Um okay, so yeah, so I'll I'll just explain how it affects my kids because I think the uh <laughs> the the joke I guess in the autism community is that like if you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. So like everybody is different, but in my kids, um my son is nonverbal. He has receptive language disorder as well, which means that his brain has a hard time processing language. And so he doesn't really understand what we're saying most of the time unless our language is very robotic and simple. Um, and that's really where he struggles is, is verbal communication. My daughter is more anxiety ridden and always has been. Um, she is almost completely mute at school. She doesn't talk to friends or teachers. Um, and she just completely will shut down or have a meltdown if she's anxious. Um, but she talked extremely early. So it it's just different for everybody, truly. Wow, that's so interesting. I didn't realize that autism can manifest itself as anxiety. Is that kind of what the symptoms that you see are or that if a child just basically like shuts down in a social setting? Oh, yeah. So, you know, anxiety and um, and autism and ADHD, they're kind of all within the same bubble. So like, if you have one of them, you typically probably have symptoms of all of them. Like you can pick out. That's why it's so confusing. Well, like, well, my son didn't talk till this age, but he's not autistic. But it's 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 a very fine line. And that's why, like, <laughs> that's why, like, you know, it takes so long to get a diagnosis for our kids. And um, there's kind of this whole culture happening right now where it's, you know, for, for my daughter, especially who's considered high functioning, um, you know, it's hard for her to get a medical diagnosis because she is now viewed as like, oh, well, she's just anxious. But she also is like, you know, obsessive compulsive and it manifests itself so much to where it affects her everyday life, ev you know, every single day everything she does, I, there's an autism symptom in everything she does. So everybody can have like little symptoms of something, but it's how it manifests, I think is the important part. 
and it, autism is so confusing because we don't actually know like what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like you, we don't know what causes it. Um, and it looks so differently in everybody. So it's hard to define it and it's hard to diagnose and it's, it's different for everybody. So it's kind of hard to talk about. Right. I, I was reading up a little bit about autism before this podcast, and I found it surprising that there's no actual test for autism. It's just based on behavioral, uh, you know, and, and how the child is behaving during the day or whatnot. So I, I found that that was kind of interesting because it's a medical uh, disease, you know, but you can't diagnose it with any sort of test, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah, exactly. And and you're going to a doctor who will only see them for an hour, you know? <laughs> so it's like, how can you judge that in an hour when, you know, we're, the parents were with them every day? I know some parents take, especially girls. So I, I think it's like every... I can't remember the exact statistic, but there's a lot more boys that are diagnosed with autism than girls. And it's because it manifests itself in girls differently. So girls are social creatures. We want to connect with uh, our peers. Um, It's just in our nature. However, men, I mean, if you have known any man, you know that they can be with their friends and not say a word and have the best time. (laughs) But women are not like that. We're social beings. And so it it's harder to see in women in girls and in women and so for people like my daughter they're not getting a diagnosis uh, medically because like oh well she can talk so she's fine you know but it's like well there's deeper rooted issues here you know and it's it's a tricky it's a tricky line to cross for sure I was reading, too, that I guess the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, that they say that autism doesn't occur as frequently in girls. So I wonder if that's part of it, too. But I was actually pretty shocked at the statistics for autism. Maybe it's a higher number now that they're including, you know, Asperger's, as you said, and other levels of autism that I guess it's one in 42 for boys and one in 189 for girls. That's from the CDC. I was pretty shocked. Like, that's... That's a high number. Yeah. And like I said, and it's really, I truly believe this in my soul, is that it just looks different in girls. Like, I had no idea Mia was autistic until until around preschool age when I started noticing she couldn't start a conversation and she couldn't keep a conversation going and she couldn't... Um, she she just had no idea how to interact with kids. It was like, it was like she had never done it before. Um, and and so, once those social, I guess, um, expectations were put on her, that's when I started noticing that she was falling short. Whereas Jay, it was very obvious very early on, and I think that's the that's the difference. And it's because women are so girls and women are they're so social they they want to talk you know and that's not for every girl there are nonverbal girls with autism but generally speaking they're much more likely to um, be motivated by wanting to communicate than boys 
That makes a lot of sense to me. I guess, um, could you go over symptoms that uh, both you said Jay had on the one hand that he definitely has more severe autism and then Mia on the other hand who doesn't have it as severe? Maybe if moms are listening and they're wondering, oh, I wonder if my child might need to get evaluated, you know, what what symptoms should parents be looking for on both sides of the sphere of autism? Sure. So if your child does not say a word or if they're lacking in speech by the time they're, I'd say 15 months old, but some doctors will tell you 18 months old, um, get them to a psychologist <laughs> immediately. Um because, especially because the waiting list to get anybody to talk to you is like a year long in some places. Um, so immediately when you see a red flag, you want to get on it. Um, so lack of speech or regressing in speech um, is a big one. Um, repetitive movements or um, so that could be like Lining up toys is a big one. Um, hand flapping is another one or spinning or spinning different parts of toys, not playing with toys appropriately. So like Jay Sorry, wouldn't know. Hand flapping. Sorry to stop you there. No, that's fine. Um, so it's it's literally exactly what it sounds like. So kids will take their hands and kind of flap them like wings almost. Oh, okay. um, and it's just it's called stimming. So some some kids stim like that. Um, Jay will stim, he'll run. He'll run in a circle or he'll jump. Um, those are also considered repetitive movements um, and not playing with toys appropriately. So Jay wouldn't know if you gave him a toy phone, he wouldn't know to put that to his ear and say hello. Um, imagine play just is really hard. Um, anything abstract is very difficult to understand. And then with Mia, um, for her, it was she wasn't her vocabulary wasn't up to par with her peers. Um, she didn't know how to hold a conversation or start a conversation. And you can tell she wanted to play with kids her age, but she didn't know how to interact with them or how to make that known to them. And it was very obvious. You can see it in her body when she's with kids her age that she's very uncomfortable. And even when she was a baby, looking back in hindsight, um, she was an, she was an awful baby blesser, but she would scream nonstop all day, every day, especially if somebody looked her direction. It didn't matter if she knew them or didn't. If you looked her in the eye, it was a meltdown. And looking back in hindsight, I can pick out different things like that for her, but it didn't occur to me that it was autism until much later. What do you wish that other moms or parents knew about parenting a child who has autism? To a neurotypical parent? Yeah, well, I saw you uh, yeah. talk about neurotypical. What exactly is that? I, I wasn't quite sure. Oh, sure. So it, neurotypical just means um, they don't have a, a diagnosis, basically. So not autistic. Um, a lot of people say normal, which is, I guess, insulting, <laughs> you know, to say normal when like, what is normal? Um, and so we say neurotypical. So it's like, you're typically, you're typical. Um so a neurotypical child would just be one without a diagnosis. 
Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Maybe I'm, I'm thinking of neurodiverse. Oh, yes. Yeah. Neurodiverse is a different thing. So neurotypical would be so yeah, neurodiverse is kind of everybody, I guess. Neurotypical would be somebody without a diagnosis. And then, yeah, you got autistic, you know, <laughs> neurodiverse. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. I was, I, yeah, I sure. I'm so sorry. Post on that. And I was wondering what, what all that meant. So that's, I was curious to chat with you about that. Yeah. So I guess, um, Parents who don't have children who have autism, what do you wish that they would know about parenting a child who does have it? I would say to not judge us the way that you would a neurotypical family because it's not the same. Um, it's it's not the same at all. There's so many different moving parts in an autism family, where whether it be like sensory issues, um, communication issues. Like you know, we can't go to a grocery store, say, and if if there's a meltdown, you know, you're getting all the evil glares, like, oh, why aren't these parents punishing their kid, you know, for acting out? But it's it's not the same. A meltdown is not a tantrum. It's not the same thing. Um, just be compassionate and empathetic and offer support where you can. I I just wish people would know that, you know, it's not always as it seems and that even though we have struggles that other people don't, it doesn't take away from the beauty of our children or how much we love them. I get dirty looks all the time in public, so <laughs> I can't even imagine, you know, having a child with autism, what, what dirty looks I would get if, if my child was misbehaving, or I guess I shouldn't say all the, all the time, that, that wouldn't be completely fair, but I, definitely often. So I, I still remember one of my friends telling me a story of how she went to the grocery store with her toddler, and her toddler was in such a good mood the whole time, and she was talking with them. They picked out carrots, all this stuff together. And then when they got up to the checkout, uh, you know, my friend was just checking her phone for text messages and whatnot. And then this mom, older mom, uh, walks by, and she's like, oh, poor baby. You know, your mom's not paying attention to you when it was the only time <laughs> the mom had looked at the phone. So, I, yeah. I guess that brings the question of what do you say when people do say comments like that in public? That's like the longstanding debate that I have with moms. It's like, are you rude back to them? Are you nice? Or do you do just brush it off. You know, if you're nice about it, then they might just do it to the next mom. But, you know, if you stand up for yourself, maybe maybe they'll shut up and never say anything rude again. So I guess, <laughs> how do you handle all that? So... One of the perks to being an autism parent is the autism card. And <laughs> this is what I like to call it. If somebody was rude to me at the grocery store, I will be so quick to pull that autism card. Because who wants to be the person who's in the grocery store who tries to be holier than thou and tries to mom shame and then is like, oh, well, now you're the jerk who, <laughs> who just right, exactly. was just mean to the autistic kid in the grocery store. You know, like I will be the first person to be like, look, this is this is how much of a jerk you're being right now. Like he's autistic. Right. He's having a sensory meltdown. Thanks for pointing it out. You know, like I would be the first person to do that. And if I see um, autism families in the grocery store, I'll like I'll keep an eye out. I'll be like, because I will be there 
I will be there so fast if somebody tries to say anything to them too. Like, and that's something other people can do too, to, to show support too. If like you see that happening, don't be silent. Don't just sit there and watch it happen. So yeah. That's such a good point. And then hopefully that person will think twice before saying it to another parent. Like maybe they'll think, oh, maybe this child has autism or I don't want to make that judgment call or, you know, maybe they're just having a bad day. But yeah, exactly. I guess in summary that the community just needs to be less. <laughs> yes, I think in general. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, what is life like with an autistic child? So you have two. I know that you said that you're a stay at home mom, but do you have therapy that you put your children in? Do they have, do you have any outside help? What, I guess, what does a typical day look like for you? Oh, we have therapy all day, every day. (laughs) So um, my son goes to applied behavioral analysis is what his therapy is called. Um, He goes five days a week for half of the day. And then the other half of the day he's spending in school, but there he's also getting speech therapy and occupational therapy <laughs> and um, somebody's working with him on his speaking device and I, and every time he'll come home if I have an interaction with him it's therapy based it's like I'm trying to get him to speak to get something he wants you know I'm I'm doing joint compressions which is a sensory thing and um it's always about therapy here. I cannot have an interaction with my children without it being, without my mind being in therapy. Basically, that's what it's like. It's it's and is that um, something you just pick up based on seeing the therapy sessions with your children, so that you know what to do. Yes, absolutely, and also you know my own you know, going into just like educating myself on the importance of therapy and early intervention, because early intervention is key when it comes to autism. Um, The it's it's so important. And I I cannot stress that enough. And so you really have to have everything be therapy. um, Because the idea is you don't want I read something one time where it's like, I don't want my kid to not be autistic. I want my kid to grow up to be an adult that, and an autistic adult that doesn't struggle. And that really is the goal when they're young. And that's on your mind at all times. So it can be very emotionally draining, I would say, but it's still, it's still fun. It's still a good life, but it's just, we, we go through. Through, through the motions a lot more, I think, you know, of of anxiety and stuff like that. Yes, I, I don't have that much experience with that type of therapy, but I'm a big advocate of physical therapy. So if it's anything like that, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. But what would you tell a parent if they suspect that their child has autism, but they're kind of putting off the appointment? Maybe they just don't want to face reality. What what words of advice would you give them and kind of the encouragement uh, that you would tell them? I would say that like, you know, say you go and it's nothing, then great. <laughs> but say you don't go at all and it's something, that's a huge detriment to their prognosis as adults and um, you're doing them a huge disservice, huge disservice. And I think, you know, not even just with therapy, but 
also, I think everybody has a right to know what's going on in their brain. I mean, I could tell with my daughter when we told her that she has autism, it was a huge relief. I just saw it in her face and in her body because I told her, I was like, you know, when you get nervous, that's not your fault. That's not, that's not your fault. It's just, you know, you have autism. And so these things are harder for you than other kids. And that was a huge weight lifted off of her. And you could see that. And to take that away from your kids or anybody is, is a shame. It really is. Um, And that's one of the hard things too about being an autism parent is you really don't get the time to grieve over the diagnosis because you have to get on you have to get on it, you know, right away because of all the um, waiting lists and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's hard, but you got to do it. You just have to. Are those waiting lists that you referred to, is that for therapy or school or what? I guess, what are some of the the things that you need to change in your child's life once you do receive that diagnosis? So the first thing that you would have to get a waiting list for is to get the diagnosis. So, um, I think like right now in Omaha, it's like a, I don't know, like a six month waiting list or something like that to get a diagnosis medically. So the first thing that you would do is get on that waiting list. And then um, you could call your school district and have a school psychologist come out and they'll give you an educational diagnosis. And um, if they're young enough, then they'll get early intervention at home for free, which is great. And not a lot of people know that. And um so there are ways to to get them help without while being on waiting lists. But yeah, and then after you get the diagnosis um, educationally, then I would say to put them on every waiting list you can think of. Applied behavior analysis, speech therapy, occupational therapy, um, uh, music therapy, like art therapy, like whatever – is available to you, get them on it because you never know what's going to open up. And I, like my son has been on a waiting list for applied behavior analysis since 2016 and is still not on (laughs) the top of the list. Yeah. So it's, it's so important to, to not put it off. It's crucial, crucial. So does the state have to give that diagnosis? Is that, is that why there's a waiting list? Um, no, it's um, a lack of therapists, really. And um, that's really it. It's kind of a a crisis, really. Um, there's just so not the enough. Therapist that gives like the medical diagnosis. And then you also, if you need the state, if you need the assistance in school, then you need the state right. to diagnose you as well. Is that kind of how that works? Correct. Yes. If, if anything, anything that goes through school, you need the school psychologist to give you a diagnosis. So there are kids with a medical diagnosis that can't get an educational one and vice versa. So Jay has both. So Jay has both an educational diagnosis and a medical diagnosis. Mia only has an educational diagnosis, which is a long story, but um, yeah, so it's, it's different for everyone because you got to meet certain criteria and like, it's, it's very, it's confusing for sure. (laughs) But everything that goes through school, yeah, it has to be um, diagnosed through them. And then those different types of therapy, is that through the school or is that just something that's covered by your insurance? You both. So uh, my kids have speech therapy and like occupational therapy and stuff through school, but they 
but like Jay also has applied behavioral analysis and speech and occupational therapy outside of school as well. And so that's what we go through through our insurance is anything outside of school goes through our insurance, anything inside of school, um, they have to provide for us. That makes a lot of sense. So I've been wondering this for a while, and I'm sure maybe Google can tell me, but I'm not sure because I've tried looking this up and I couldn't really find a good answer. But what is the socially acceptable term for a child with autism or a child with special needs? Is it still special needs or is that kind of outdated? What's, I guess, the politically correct term nowadays? I am so glad you asked this question because I get it a lot because I I use I use every everything. Like I, I say like child with autism or autistic. I lean towards more autistic because um, here's the thing. When in regards to autism, not all special needs, but autism specifically, most people with autism prefer the term autistic because it's so all consuming um, that it's a part of who you are. And to say the only people who really push first First person, first language in regards to autism are people who are not autistic. Um, basically, the thing is like, well, it, you wouldn't say like my my f- femaleness or my Asianness or something like that. It's like, no, I'm autistic. This is who I am, and I'm proud to be autistic. Most people are proud to be autistic. And I think that's that's where the misconception is, is that like, oh, it's this like big, dark, scary thing that's coming out to get your children or whatever. But like most people are are very proud and it makes them who they are. It makes my kids who they are. They wouldn't be the people that they are without being autistic. And so I would say to be safe, I always tell people to be safe. You can say person with autism, but you can always ask that individual person who you're talking to or referring to what they prefer um, you as how they identify, I guess. That's so beautiful that, um, you know, children with autism did I say it that right? Is that yeah, the way sure, yeah, it? yeah. You could okay. say autistic or person with autism, but like, like I Got won't it. care. Okay. And yeah, yeah, it's fine. Awesome. I got it right. Yay! <laughs> Good job. So, how would you? Um, why? What makes it beautiful to them? Because I just find like, wh- why are they proud of it? Because I, I just find that so wonderful that that's the feeling that most most have. So why is that? So it's different for everyone. So. My daughter, like, I think what makes it beautiful for her is that it, her brain works so differently. Like, she can recite things we've said verbatim months and months and months ago. Um, her memory is incredible, and it wouldn't be so if she wasn't autistic. Like, because it's just – it's that good. She She's one of those kids who just, like, taught herself to read. She's she's a smart cookie. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she's very smart. With my son, I think what makes it beautiful for him is like he is too pure and good for the world. He mm. there's there's not a bad bone in his body. There are no ill intentions in him at all. He is just pure goodness. And like those kids, like <laughs> Mia will tell on herself, you know, like And I've noticed that, you know, I used to babysit for families who had um, kids with autism and 
they all tell on themselves because it's like everything is black and white. It's like good or bad, you know, and they don't want to be bad. It, it's just so sweet. They're just too that pure and good so for the world, cute. you know? And so like, it's so beautiful and it's not the scary thing that's going to come get your kids. You know, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's just who, it just is what it is. That's who they are. And we love them just as they are. Have, have you ever seen the movie Temple Grandin? No, but I love her. <laughs> I oh, haven't okay. seen her movie, but yeah. I watched it um, with Claire Danes a few years back, and I just loved it, you know, because um, Temple Grandin, she um, had autism, and I was just so inspired with, obviously, she was different, and it was during a time when people didn't really fully understand what autism was, but just as you were saying, she was so smart. She figured out an entirely different way to herd cattle that cattle ranches ranchers still use today. And when I watched that episode, I was kind of jealous. I'm like, Oh, I like, that's like a autism is kind of like a superpower. Like I kind of want, want that. Yeah. 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 And sometimes it is. And, um, and yeah, and like, it does make things difficult sometimes, but yeah, there are moments like that where it's like, that wouldn't happen if she wasn't autistic. And I'm sure she'd say the same thing. Like, it, it's beautiful to be to be different. And I don't know why we, when regards to autism, people decide that it's not anymore. Does that make sense? Like, I, I don't understand that. Like, we're all unique and that's beautiful unless right. you're autistic. Like, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, perfect. I never understand that either. Like, our society is like, oh, you know, celebrate the uniqueness and the di- diversity and whatever and whoever you want to be, except if you have some sort of disability then no <laughs> yes yes exactly exactly and, and yeah and unless it's, it's not typical <laughs> if it's not a typical right, difference yeah, yeah. It's so bizarre it's almost like I don't even know how to describe it it's like if you have an actual medical diverse <laughs> personality yeah. like medically diagnosed then it's not acceptable but if it's just a figment of your imagination then it's great <laughs> yeah I'm with you 110 percent exactly so, well, that's great. I've, I've just blown away talking with you today. I've learned so much and I've always wanted to ask all these questions. So I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to chat with you and gosh, you're just so informative with everything that you've said. And so in closing, what we always ask every single mom is, you know, in terms of our motto that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. What is an example of a time when you realize realize that it's okay for you not to be perfect and it's okay to be a good one instead? I would say when I went to my first autism play date, (laughs) the autism center here in Omaha has like little play dates for preschool age kids. And I went for the first time before then, whenever I would take my kids on a play date, we'd always have to end it in like 10 minutes because they couldn't function. They just you know, there was always a meltdown and I felt totally defeated. But for whatever reason, that day I felt brave. And I took them both to a play date at the autism center. And Jay, of course, was running around taking everybody's toys. And, you know, I was going around like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. And I was stressing. And the moms there were like, it's fine that's okay. Like they do that. They're kids. Like just let them be, just come sit. And it allowed me to like sit back and relax for the first time since becoming a parent. And I'm like, you know what? Like it's there. My people are out there that get it. 
there my people are out there and and none of us are perfect we're sitting here while we watch our kids like destroy each other's you know block castles or whatever and and it's okay and it's beautiful and it's this moment of just acceptance for everybody for the parents and for the kids and I thought that that was just like a beautiful moment where I realized like you know what like my kids don't have to be perfect and I don't either and and it's all it's all it's all gravy (laughs) that's so beautiful thanks for sharing that story I love that so much Well, Leah, thanks so much again for being on our show, and uh, we really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Emily. This was a pleasure. 